When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to 365 Days with MXM Tune. I'm Maya, a singer, songwriter, video maker, Oakland native, and voracious texter. I'm also a big history nerd. I love untold stories, gross facts, hidden secrets, and anything weird, dark, or funky from the past. So each day, I'm going to share one of my favorite deep cuts with you. Let's dig in. It's 365 with MXM Tune. New facts every day, so don't leave too soon. I'm gonna teach you stuff, no, it won't be tough. Gonna go a year till you've had enough. It's 365. It's hard to imagine a world without emojis. Like using words and full sentences to describe how you feel about something instead of just sending an upside-down smiley face? In this economy, who has time? But emojis and their ancestors, emoticons, haven't been around for all that long. In fact, the first emoticon didn't make an official appearance until September 19, 1982, when a computer scientist named Scott Fallman posted the first documented smiley and sad faces on the Carnegie Mellon University Bulletin Board system. Fallman was a computer science professor at Carnegie Mellon at the time, and on that fateful day, he was talking with some people on the university's message board about how difficult it was to distinguish serious posts from jokes. This was way before everyone communicated using texting and DMs, and people were not used to having to decipher tone online. Imagine subjecting people in the 1980s to Twitter. Fallman inadvertently came up with a solution. I propose the following character sequence for joke markers, he wrote, followed by a colon with a dash and a closing parent. The first smiley-faced. Read it sideways, he added. But of course, smiley faces only cover a small spectrum of human emotion. Fallman had another idea. Actually, it is probably more economical to mark things that are not jokes given current trends, he wrote. For this, he suggested the same colon and dash, but with an opening parent, the first sad face. This was absolutely thrilling to the Carnegie Mellon message board community, and emoticon usage spread through it like wildfire. Carnegie Mellon professors told their friends at other universities who started using smiley and sad faces on their message boards, too. People started adding their own variations to Fallman's original creation, making emoticons that represented different emotions, too. Famous people's faces, animals, you name it. Fallman wasn't technically the first person to come up with using symbols as shorthand for more complicated language. In the 1800s, writer Victor Hugo sent his publisher a telegram asking about book sales with a lone question mark symbol. His publisher sent back an exclamation point to let him know that the book was selling. A 19th century satirical magazine published a series of what we would now call emoticons in a joke piece about using newspapers to put comedians out of business. There's some debate over whether the New York Times' use of a semicolon in an open parenthesis in an article about an Abraham Lincoln speech was intentionally meant to convey audience laughter. And in the 1960s, writer Vladimir Nabokov suggested coming up with a way to denote a smile in writing, telling the New York Times... I often think there should exist a special typographical sign for a smile, some sort of concave mark, a supine round bracket. Sound familiar? 
But whether or not the idea for emoticons existed before Fallman's smiley and sad faces, he was the one who catapulted them into everyday use. As online and text communication became more and more popular, emoticons became more and more common, and more and more complicated, too. Phone and computer platforms started incorporating smileys in their fonts, designs, and text keyboards. In Japan, kaomojis became popular, which are basically like emoticons, but they can be read from left to right instead of sideways, and they usually include symbols that we don't have in Western computer language. Think about the shrug emoji. Emoticons evolved even further around the turn of the 21st century. In 1999, a Japanese interface designer named Shigetaka Kurita released a set of 176 emojis, or 12 by 12 pixel images of cars, bags, martinis, and other objects that, like emoticons, could stand in for words. Japan started adopting emoji sets for their cell phones. Eventually, emoji keyboards made their way to the West, and in 2009, emojis went mainstream. The USA, Europe, and Japan all agreed on a standard set of 722 emojis. That standard set has evolved tremendously over the last decade, and emojis are now just as much a part of our language as the written word. People can have whole conversations using just emojis, and there are regular debates over whether emojis are admissible as court evidence. Emojis can even be used to uh, spice things up. So much so that a few years ago, the New York City Health Department launched a safe sex ad campaign exclusively using eggplants, peaches, and well, you, you get the point. I do not envy anyone who had to have that conversation or explain the ads to their parents on the subway. <laughs> I actually have my own personal history with different emojis and emoticons that I fell in love with and like was totally obsessed with growing up too. And the shrug emoji was one of those. I remember probably being, I was like 12 years old, and I want to say half of my personality at that point existed in using the kaomojis, the way that, you know, Japanese emoticons looked, and they were all typed out, and they had so much more expression in my mind than the typical set of emojis. But I was personally obsessed with the shrug emoji. I had eight stickers of it plastered everywhere on everything that I owned, and I don't think I let go of that until I was like 16 years old. So if you have ever been personally obsessed with an emoji, you're not the only one. And now here's a fun music fact from September 19th. Famed folk rock duo Simon and Garfunkel very publicly broke up after recording and releasing their big hit, Bridge Over Troubled Water, in 1970. They both embarked on a solo career, and for about a decade, they only spoke to each other a couple times a year. It didn't look like fans would ever get to see them together again. But in 1981, they decided to reunite for a free concert in Central Park, held on September 19th. It was a huge hit. Over 500,000 people showed up, making it the most attended concert ever at the time. It was so big, their studio released a live album of it that went platinum, and HBO bought a recording of the show. Simon and Garfunkel toured again in 1982, driven by the Central Park concert, but unfortunately, they still didn't like each other and never officially got back together. Success can only do so much. And now for our final segment of the show, I'll be taking a look back on my life to give you insight into what I have done in my meager 20 years of existence. So I was up to a couple things on September 19th in my life, and one of them, I was playing a show in Vancouver, Canada. I was the first time I'd ever played in Vancouver 
and Canada generally, actually. So that was really exciting. But the other thing that I think is probably more interesting and funny is that I wrote my first rap song. My rap name is Lil Bamboo. I have thought about changing it to be Lil Ugwe, like the character from Kung Fu Panda, because I love Ugwe. Um, but I wrote my first rap song, and it's it's still on my SoundCloud. It's called Lil Bamboo, and it was like my attempt at making a cute rap. And I wrote it in like five minutes. The lyrics about are about how I'm like short. It's really bad, but I think that it was also one of the first times that I didn't care enough to worry about making something that is not that good. And so I think if you take anything away from my story of me telling you that I wrote my first rap song on September 19th of 2000, God, I don't even know which year it was, but um, you don't need to worry about art being bad as long as you have fun with it. So again, thank you all so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of 365 Days with MXM Tune, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. It's 365 with MXM Tune. New facts every day, so don't leave too soon. I'm gonna teach you stuff, no, it won't be tough. Gonna go a year till you've had enough. It's 365 with MXM Tune. Thanks for listening to today's episode of 365 Days with MXM Tune. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and follow along with us on social media at 365 Days MXM Tune on all platforms.